Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. want to welcome in James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic. You know, James, it's funny, man. I'm just thinking about I'm so ready for the NFL draft, and I glance down April 5th. I'm like, all right, April 5th, uh, April 27th. All right, we got a little over three weeks. And I'm like, I just thought about you because I'm not writing about the draft almost every single day. You know what I mean? And I'm getting antsy. I'm like, is it here yet? So how do you feel about it when you're covering it extensively? Yeah, I think for me it does get a bit redundant at times because it's like how many times can you lay out the options at quarterback for the Colts in particular? How many times can you go through what Jim Ursay thinks and has thought over the years? Same thing with Chris Ballard. So um, I feel like I just have to grind my way through it and – provide the content because I do think that regardless of what you write, if you write anything about the draft, it's going to get read because everyone is, uh, you know, on their, on their toes, just waiting to see what happens. James, last time we had you on, you mentioned that through your mock process, you like to do a different perspective in that you try to look at different angles that, that could happen, not necessarily like what you truly believe is going to happen. You were trying to find different scenarios or different situations of what would happen if the Colts do this or that. And, and like you mentioned, sometimes it was to create engagement. Other times it was an educational process for you to figure out what would look best with the Colts. Uh, through this process, who has been your most ideal situation for the Colts, assuming they stand pat at four? Just what you'd like to see them do. Yeah, I think if they stay pat at four, Lamar Jackson is out. He's not an option. If he's not an option, but they're seriously considering, which I don't think they really are, um, I think the ideal situation is you stay at four and you take Anthony Richardson. Um, I know that makes a lot of people very happy and a lot of people very mad because it's like, why do you pick this kid? His completion percentage, um, this, that, and the third. He isn't, you know, Cam Newton. He isn't Lamar Jackson. Just because he looks like him, it's like, I'm not saying this. These are what teams are saying about him, scouts. And you cannot just deny his physical gifts because it is one of one, and he is in that 1% of athlete where it's like, man, if we trust Shane Spiken enough, and he could get us over the top, you know, with this kid. You could have a really, really special player who fits, in my opinion, the franchise quarterback you need, but also sort of that modern quarterback where, you know, they're also a dual threat. There's a lot of anti-Levis stuff out there the last couple of weeks where it's him taking a bathroom selfie shirtless. Oh, this freaking guy, this narcissist over here. He's dropping down the mock drafts. You just mentioned some of the Colts fans specifically might be – some of them anti-Richardson. Are there more anti-Richardson or more anti-Levis Colts fans, in your opinion? It feels like it's more anti-Levis, which I think is truly unfair. I even put a piece out there recently just stating, hey, let me remind everyone that he has a lot of upside as well. Like, he isn't some, you know, absolute terrible consideration. Like, there's pros and cons with all four of the top four quarterbacks. But I just feel like, you know, he's been given an unfair shake. Um, maybe, you know, during his interviews, he says some things that are a little bit off the wall. Like I remember asking him at the combine, 
hey, what do you think you can bring a team right now versus in the future? And he's like, I can bring him, you know, championship level play right now. And I'm like, no, you can't. Like, that's not, you know, realistic. And that's not disrespectful to him. That's just any, you know what I mean? That's any quarterback in this class. Like, I don't expect Bryce Young or CJ Stroud to step in and make their team a championship level team. I mean, come on now. Um, you know, we look at Andrew Luck as Colts fans when he came in and he turned him into a playoff in his first year. It's like, that doesn't happen. Peyton Manning came in in his first year and the Colts were still terrible. So, um, you know, stuff like that might move people the wrong way. But at the same time, I think that he um, has a level of maturity that I mean, people overlook because he's gone through the ups and downs of a college career. He's been the man. He hasn't been the man. He's uh, had a pretty good season in 2021, struggled some in 2022. So, like, I think all of that helps because it's going to be a lot on your plate in the NFL, and it's not going to go well right off the bat. Or, you know, there's going to be times, even if it does go well, well, you don't succeed because you're at the highest level of the sport. So people need to, I guess, give him a little more grace, I think, because, again, there's a reason why he's being considered and he does have a lot of upside. And he has the experience of running an NFL offense, two of them in college. James Boyd of The Athletic, nice enough to join us. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeoAvilleKid. James, your colleague Zach Kiefer revisited a conversation point that was prominent when they hired Shane Steichen, which is the amount of influence, the amount of just input overall that he has in this equation for what the Colts are ultimately going to do at quarterback and what they do in the grand scheme of things throughout the entirety of the draft and the rest of the offseason uh, through your, your engagement with the press pool with Zach with with coach Steichen as he's become more familiar and more public within the community and within Indianapolis uh, what have been your ultimate summary of how much he's going to be able to have in this say I think he's going to have a big say that's why they hired him I understand that there's other factors that went into it but I believe one of the biggest factors was that he's worked with quarterbacks, a variety of them, and he succeeded with a variety of them. And obviously the Colts are at this crossroads where they have to find their next franchise quarterback this year. Like there's no more of that kicking the can down the road. I know I've heard some fans theorize, and I even put it out there just to, um, you know, engage with the fans about trading back possibly for Hendon Hooker and things like that. But I still think that's even very, 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 if you didn't hear that, I said very unlikely scenario where um, they trade back. So they have to make a decision, I believe, at four or possibly moving up to number three. And I think that Shane Steichen is going to have a lot of say in that because um, this is who you're trusting your franchise with alongside that quarterback. So you don't want to get someone and just tell him work with them. You don't want to say, hey, what is your thoughts? What are your opinions on this? Who can you work with? And obviously he's not going to say he can't work with any of them. But if he has a preference, I think you have to heavily consider that because um, he's had success, and if he hits on his guy, um, it's good for everyone involved. You know, James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. I read your stuff the other day, James, and it was good because you had a couple of trade examples where what the Niners gave up to move up to get Trey Lance. The greatest one I love, what the Browns gave up to move up one spot from four to three to draft running back Trent Richardson. You know, and it was beautiful because they gave up a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, and a seventh rounder. This goes back to 2012. So what do you think it would take for the Colts to move from four to three for a quarterback? And also, if you take it a step further, some of the teams that might be candidates to leapfrog the Colts, what do you think the price tag would be, say, for the Raiders to move up from seven to three specifically for a quarterback? Yeah, I guess we'll start with the Raiders. I do think their package has to be 
bigger, obviously, because they're coming from further down. And, and, you know, if you're Arizona, do you say, hey, we need, you know, two first-round picks right off the bat, like, just to, you know, set the market. But I think um, the Colts are in a good position where I do think there's going to – it's not going to happen, like, anytime soon. I think if this were to happen, you kind of have to wait probably till draft day because you don't want to give up things um, right away before you kind of fill out the market. Maybe they do um, get a little antsy and make a move, but – um, the Colts are in a really good position, I think, to move up to number three without having to give up a number, one, a number another first round pick, which is, in theory, what you'd have to do um, if you tried to get out, go after Lamar. So I think that um, you know something along the lines of, hey, what if we give you number four, um, a third round pick, and a fifth round pick, or something like that, to move up to four, where you're able to continue to you know keep your Number one, you know, first-round picks, those types of picks obviously are, are hard to come by. And, you know, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is out there next year, you don't want to be able to miss out on him. <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. throw that out there. But, yeah, I think that it, it will be um, one of those packages where it's not something that, like, breaks the bank um, financially or in draft capital-wise, but it gets you where you need to be to get your franchise quarterback. And I think at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. Um, no one will really care what you gave up if you get your guy. And in this case, um, you still wouldn't have to give up that much, I don't think, in theory, to get them. Like, obviously, Arizona knows you need a quarterback. They're going to demand a lot, but you don't have to, um, you know, give into that. But the other thing I want to point out is if you do, you know, give up a lot, it's not necessarily just to move up. It's to box everyone else out, you know, from from being able to get that number three pick. So maybe you do have to give a little little bit more up, but I feel like it's just a cat and mouse game right now because even Seattle's taking, you know, selfies with every – top quarterback and they don't have a top four pick do they try to you know just make the Colts think a little bit harder about those types of things but I do think it is more realistic that that happens rather than like I said trading back or you know trying to go after Lamar James we've talked a lot about what they're going to do with the quarterback position and with that first round pick but when you look at other areas where they're going to need additional help in theory you'd like to see them make an upgrade at wide receiver I know they brought in Isaiah McKenzie but but in general that that's a playmaking piece that's not a starting number one wide receiver or complimentary piece uh, more of a complimentary piece rather then you look at the defensive end with Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Faison out uh, what type of adjustments in attack level do you expect in those following rounds, like rounds two, three, four, for the Colts to address those needs? Yeah, I would expect them to go after wide receiver um, somewhere in the top three rounds, top four. Um, they need another playmaker out there, and given the, the wide receiver market so far and just they're not being that engaged with it, I think that they have to go out and get um, someone else to – potentially be like a, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver two, um, you know, for this team because you look at the potential of drafting a quarterback, what helps the quarterback? Improving your offensive line, which they have to address, I think, in the draft and free agency, um, as well as giving him playmakers. It's very easy to make plays when you have guys that can make big plays. Um, You look at the Jalen Hurts um, ascension, and a lot of that, I will say, you know, is credit to him because he worked on his game. He got a lot better. You can see that. But he's also throwing at Devontae Smith and, you know, uh, A.J. Brown. So those are, you know, guys who could be number ones on, on, on several teams in the NFL. So, again, I think they have to find a wide receiver, bolster the offensive line as well. You might want to get a right guard out there. Um, I think you can find some depth at left tackle through the draft or free agency. You have to at least bring it in and have some competition there with Bernard Ryman. And then as well as cornerback, I know the one comment that Chris Ballard said – 
last week at the uh, owners' meetings when he's saying, like, yeah, we got Rilla Gilmore, but we got Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. We expect those guys to take a jump. And I'm like, wait a second. He said this last year about the offensive line, and we saw how that happened. So they do need to bring in um, perhaps a veteran cornerback as well and, and just some depth there as well in the draft. So there's some holes there, and I think when you have four wins to show for last season, it's obvious that, yes, the quarterback is the biggest piece, but there's other pieces you need because – um, for so long, it felt like they were just right there. I mean, the quarterback, I think last year was an eye-opening experience for everyone involved. And it was like, okay, maybe we haven't built this the right way. And we should, you know, look at doing things differently. Uh, James, what do you think ends up happening with Lamar? Just your ju- your gut feeling on that whole story. I think Lamar ends up back in Baltimore. Now, I don't know if that happens on him just – betting on himself again with the one-year franchise tag. Um, I don't know if he comes to an agreement with Baltimore, but it just seems like – and I get all the collusion talk. I do think that it is ridiculous for teams like the Commanders and the Falcons to say they don't want to go after the guy at all or even consider him. Um, That is a complete joke. And and, and so I do think there is some truth to owners just completely not wanting to consider uh, fully guaranteed contracts. But in my opinion, just say that rather than make up excuses, you know, like the Falcons owner did where he's saying, oh, he's missed games the last few years. And it's like, dude, you guys tried to get Deshaun Watson last year. He missed the entire 2021 season, and he also missed 11 games last year because of his alleged misconduct. So, like, let's be, you know, realistic. At least Jim Irsay said, I don't believe in fully guaranteed deals. Mm-hmm. I, that's fair, you know. But I do think that um, there are teams out there as well who just don't view him the way he views himself, which is not disrespectful. Lamar is a great talent, but he's not so undeniably great that it's a no-brainer. You know, Joe Burrow, if Patrick Mahomes, if they ask for fully guaranteed deals, they probably get them before they finish their statement or their question to ownership. With Lamar, it's like he's a top 10 quarterback, give or take, and he's also such a unique player that you can't just plug him in and tell him to go play. You have to change so much around him because he's such a unique player. And I understand he's a former MVP Youngest MVP in you know, NFL history, but the NFL is very much a what have you done for me lately league, and lately he's been hurt. And I get it. He's a great, great talent when he's healthy. He wins a lot you know, throughout the regular season. His one percentage is unbelievable, 45-16. and 16. But in the playoffs, you're 1-3. So, again, like there's pros and cons to both sides of it. But I ultimately think that because of that, other teams maybe aren't as interested as you would think. And I think he ends up back you know, in Baltimore. Plus, even if he like, is disgruntled and, and upset, if he really wants to force their hand and, like, hold out and not play, he'll miss $2 million a game, basically, once mm. the season starts. And um, I don't know about anybody else listening or you two. Um, I like money. I don't think I will ever, <laughs> you know, not show up to get my money. I mean, I haven't always liked my employer. Like, I like where I'm working now, obviously. It's great. When I was in high school or college working different jobs, I didn't like my employer that much, but I showed up because I needed the money or I wanted the money. So, I think that's a huge factor, and we'll see how it plays out. I think it ultimately comes down to if Lamar is so frustrated where he's like, I will just never play for you all again, whether it's fully guaranteed or not, and then we'll see. So I think more real – honestly, the last thing I'll say about it is I feel like if we see something with Lamar, it'll be after the draft when teams have either picked a quarterback or haven't picked a quarterback, and it's more defined overall, okay, which teams need a franchise quarterback. Hey, man, interesting stuff, James. Always good to uh, chat with you, man. Hope you have a good rest of the day. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'll continue 
continue twiddling my thumbs until draft. <laughs> That's right. Us too, man. Join the club over here, man. Good stuff for sure, man. There he is, James Boyd, covers the Colts for The Athletic. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, here to talk golf, NBA, MLB, cricket, uh, Formula One. Anything else we're talking about? Uh, can you bet on scuba diving, Jared Smith? How about badminton? Hey, that's been a fun <laughs> one, too. And remember back during the pandemic, it was ping pong. Very that's popular. right. Millions of dollars, actually, people were betting on uh, ping pong. So uh, not, not my cup of tea, Brian, although all, all things being equal, I bet you could find some pretty decent wagers on those, on those sports. I would imagine. So did you ever place a Russian table tennis <laughs> wager during COVID? <laughs> No, but I, it's funny. I've had this conversation with many people. In fact, this would be a, this would be a really fun conversation just for a broader spectrum. The craziest sports I bet on during the pandemic, I got invested in the KBO very briefly for like a couple of weeks, and I just I couldn't stay up to watch the games. And really, European soccer. That's really when I started betting soccer a lot because the Bundesliga and uh, English Premier League and La Liga all came back relatively quickly. And those for a while, especially the Bundesliga in Germany for a while was the only show in town, like the only real sport that was being played with a ball uh, other than, you know, the KBO. So European soccer and KBO were the two sports that, oh, and horse racing too. I bet a lot of ponies during the (laughs) pandemic because, um, yeah, that was another fun one. But I bet on some weird stuff. Those are some some dark times, guys. (laughs) Oh, man, dark times indeed. How about the lighter times? The Masters begins tomorrow. So many different ways you can bet it, Jared Smith. What's one of the things that you look at initially and say, this might be a route to take should you think about betting on the Masters? Yeah, usually the first thing that comes to mind, right, who's going to win the Masters, and that's where you'll get the longest odds, and and, and that's where you'll get some really fun uh, long shots that might be, you know, oh, wow, 100 to 1 on this guy, or Tiger Woods, 50 to 1, whatever that price is, it, it might catch your eye, but... I would steer away from those bets and putting a lot of your of your money there because for the most part, only one guy can win. So that means of the 88 golfers, and most of them have zero win equity at all, there's really only, I would say, 15, 20, maybe 30 guys that have a realistic shot of winning this tournament. And so what I look to is more the top 10, top 20 finishers. I also really like the head-to-head matchups. You can pair one golfer up against another golfer, which golfer will have the better score. And that allows you to really focus in on a couple of different guys. And that's usually what I recommend. It's cool. Of course, it's fun to throw a few smaller bets on, on some of the maybe longer shots to win just in case one of them goes nuts. But for the most part, I would allocate your bankroll elsewhere as you get ready for the tournament. Jared, just because I, I have to ask it whenever we have somebody that knows about golf that follows it closely or at least follows it from the betting perspective, cars on the table, I'm a big Tiger fan. I'm one of those delusional people that still holds out hope that, hey, maybe some magic is going to happen over at Augusta this weekend. Uh, Any bets at all placed by you or your prognostication at all on on Tiger Woods' outlook, be it a win, be it a top 10, be it a top 20 here? So it's funny. I think the betting public has kind of switched 
their feelings on Tiger. Whereas in his recent form, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz on him to make the cut. That was another bet that was very, uh, uh, very popular last year. But this year, everyone is betting on him to miss the cut. And, and I think people are kind of wise to his, his game right now. It's just, it, it's as much as there is a nostalgia to watching him play, especially at Augusta, I do think the betting public is a little bit more educated on where his game really is. And, and I, I mean, my age group, I'm 37. I grew up, I was 10 years old when Tiger won his first major. That's what really got me interested in golf playing. And I understand that there's a lot of people that want to see him do well, but I, I also think it's, it's unrealistic to think that he has an, a legit chance of even really competing in this tournament. I think the ceiling for him is making the cut. And I think you're, you know, using a, a, a wasted bet if you're really betting on him to win the tournament. I didn't know you could even do this. This is crazy. You could go hole by hole. Oh, yeah. And you could just pick one of the three guys and just say, oh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Sandy Lyle on hole three. He's definitely at 205. Give me that all day. Two to one. Let's go. Yeah. What's the most degenerate yeah. bet that you've made on the Masters, Jared? That's a good one. Um, I think the first round leader bets are my favorite. I, I think if you asked me if I could throw being smart and profitable and sharp out the window and I can just kind of revert back to my college betting days where I'm just throwing stuff against the wall, throwing darts <laughs> and hope that and hope I, I, I come up, uh, you know, lucky here, come up snake eyes. I, I think first round leader bets have become that wager because you get a lot of guys that can do it for 18 holes, but then the pressure of the masters on the weekend takes over and they just can't finish it. But first round leaders, a lot of times too, the, the, the favorites, the guys at the top of the board don't feel that urgency right away. They just want to make the cut, get to the weekend and then they'll let their experience in there and their, and their knowledge of the course kind of went out. So you get kind of this weird dichotomy where there do, there are a lot of long shot guys that can lead for 18 holes that you can get really fun prices on. I haven't bet any of them yet. Actually, it's funny. This is in the next like six to eight hours, I'll start locking in all of my action. I only have a couple of bets placed so far, but I'll, I'll start getting the, the, the bankroll and the, the portfolio squared away after this. But those are bets that will definitely be on my card. I usually pick four or five guys, most of them, you know, a little bit further down on the board. And I like to have fun with those first round leader bets. Jared, you mentioned when explaining how to bet the Masters or the area to kind of attack that realistically sometimes people like to fall in love with big odds, but in reality there's only about 10, 15, 20 guys. I'm not going to make you rattle off 20 names, and I know you said you haven't locked off bets yet, but if you're taking maybe three golfers you really like to win this thing, who's in your wheelhouse right now of bets you're likely to place to win it all? I'll give you four guys that I think – are going to be in the conversation this week. Okay. I'll start with my personal favorite. A lot of, so I have a lot of very close um, betting friends that are much better at betting golf than me. And I give them a lot of credit for a lot of this data. Um, but I do personally really like Max Homa. Um, he has been a strong, strong uh, start to this year. Um, and recent form has been fantastic. And usually what I like to do is um, got, the, the Masters is, is, is a unique event. It's the only major that's held at the same place every year. So debutantes, guys playing in the Masters for the first time, rookies don't tend to do well. Um, in fact, we've only had two winners in the last 20 that have won it before their second time. 
and the only guys that have won it their second time were Spieth, um, and I believe, oh, Danny Willett was the other one. So it, it's rare for a, a newcomer, a guy that's relatively up and coming to, to win this event. So I like to pick guys that have played here before, that have played well here before, and that have some experience. Max Homa's definitely won, and he's been fantastic. He just won at Torrey Pines a few weeks ago. He's really good recent form lately. Jason Day's another one that has been playing really well lately. Four straight top ten finishes. Tony Finau has been near the top of the board at almost every major he's played in, um, but he just can't win it. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a guy that I'd probably bet to win, but he's a top 10 kind of bet. Um, and then Sungjae Im has been very consistent this year, and he finished second and, and eighth over his last two Masters, um, mixed in between a mixed cut there. So second in 2020, mixed cut 2021, and an eighth last year. So he's had some, some really good run at Augusta too. And those four guys are kind of off the, the favorites role. They're not in the top half, I would say, of, of, that, of that top 10 or top five. But those are guys that I think do have a little bit of value based on their recent form and maybe uh, their experience at Augusta. He's Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, joining us here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. How about baseball? Now that it's in full swing, no pun intended. I'm not trying to be cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, any value you see in baseball betting? Are you indulging right now, Jared? The overs. I mean, these new rules are the offenses have been humming. Um, I don't like betting full game baseball wagers because I don't trust bullpens. I don't like handicapping bullpens. I have never had a feel or, frankly, the time to really invest in the bullpens. And if you're going to bet a nine-inning baseball game, you better know what's happening with the bullpens. I like to bet on the starting pitchers, whether that's strikeout props, walk props, out props, or first inning, first three, maybe first five inning bets. The no-run first inning, yes-run first innings have become kind of my niche. It's a very popular bet. If you've been betting baseball for a year or two, you've probably heard of them. That market has been fascinating because a lot of people like to bet the no-run first inning. They think to themselves, oh, six outs. It can be top of the first, bottom of the first, bing, bang, boom, you're in. But it's actually the yes-run first innings that are quote-unquote better bets, and they've been doing really well this year because of the impact uh, of the new rule changes with scoring. If you can find stolen base props anywhere in the market, I know in Indiana there's a lot of um, opportunities for that. I would absolutely be betting stolen base props. The stolen base rates are through the roof, and there's some good websites that track how the pitchers do with allowing stolen bases. That is another huge part of the equation. But I like to bet a lot of props in baseball because I just don't see as much value with the full game bets because of the uncertainty of the bullpen. Jared Smith of Fox Sports, nice enough to take some time with us. Jared, I want to pivot to the hardwood for a second. We are just a couple days away from the play-in and then ultimately playoffs of the NBA. Wondering if you have any futures tickets you're currently holding on to right now and if you plan on playing any of those or anything you're really looking forward to on the NBA side of things as we get into that play-in slash playoffs window. It's a good question. I think... So the NBA, and Brian and I have gone back and forth about this many times, it's a tough game to game in the regular season. And I sadly don't have the time, or frankly, it's not my favorite sport to bet during the regular season, but that does change a lot during the postseason. I think you see that bump in teams caring and and really putting their, their best foot forward with their rosters and their defense. And that's where things get interesting. I think my favorite market in the NBA playoffs and I'm sure we'll touch on this a lot during, during April and May, the series prices. For example, let's say Phoenix and Denver are playing in a seven-game series. 
the handicap of that series, like you might get Phoenix plus one and a half games for the series. It'll probably not be that price, but I'm just giving you an example. Yeah. Or like, let's say Memphis minus one and a half games against Sacramento in the, in the division, you know, in the, in the second round, whatever. Those prices tend to have a little more value to me because you eliminate the variance of a one game scenario and you can bet on the whole series. And I think that is something I will absolutely be um, looking at really strongly once we get to the playoffs. We see what the bracket looks like, et cetera, et cetera. So no futures price, no 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 futures bets now. But I'm getting to that point where once those series prices become available, that's the first place that I usually look. Are you looking at any particular teams right now before the seeds are set in stone that you like without knowing the matchups, or is it a little bit too early for that? I mean. It, I'd love to see Phoenix continue to drop in the standings because I think when they get KD and, and they're at full strength with that with that lineup, that's a lineup that I want in a seven-game series. Um, I don't see a team like Denver uh, winning it all. I don't see a team like Memphis winning it all, and I don't see a team like Sacramento winning it all. So when you look at the Western Conference standings right now, I can poke holes in those top three seeds. And I know, Brian, you have a very different opinion on Denver, and I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic in the postseason because of how good of a regular season they've had Jokic and all the numbers but does that translate to postseason success you meanwhile you've got teams like Phoenix Golden State and the Clippers that are in those four five and six spots that have had a little more postseason success but their standings are lower this year so I'm curious to see if those teams that maybe are finishing like kind of Mariano Rivera closer like teams if that level and quality improves in the postseason and if a team like Golden State or Phoenix or the Clippers really that have kind of been hovering all year can elevate those are the teams I would say in the west that 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 are intriguing in the east how is it not Milwaukee and Boston in the east final again I I, it has to be right like to me that's the only end game Um, and I don't know which team is better I think that's going to be a fun series hey Jared good stuff man really appreciate the time hope you enjoy the Masters and uh, catch up with you soon bud yeah, but I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, there he is, Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, breaking it all down. How about that? Seamlessly, from the Masters to MLB to NBA. Covered a lot there. A little bit of Russian table tennis as well. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Bad news, the Mets have tied it up. Not good for my uh, my bet. Good news for Jimmy's bet. He's got the over eight. Troll. I still got the brew crew. Hopefully they pull it out. But good news right now. Joined by Jine, uh, Josh Weinfuss. He covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com, joining us here on The Fan. Josh, hope everything's good, man. Of course, here in Indy, we're concerned about the Colts at number four, so we thought bringing you on with the Arizona Cardinals at number three would be a good thing. What do you think the odds are that the Colts do move up and make a trade for that number three pick with the Cardinals? Odds, I don't know, but um, here's what's all going to come down to. Who else needs a quarterback? Because... The Cardinals don't need a quarterback, right? So the, the Colts aren't concerned that Arizona is going to scoop up their guy. They're concerned that someone behind them is going to offer Arizona a sweeter deal to jump into three, right? So that's all that's all that matters to, 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 to the Colts right now. So I can see Arizona, if the deal is right, 
trading back simply because, especially especially if the Colts want to give him a future first-round pick, which is probably what it's going to take, right? Like, they're not just going to take a couple of fifth- and sixth-round picks if someone else is coming in hot with a heavier deal. So if the Colts want to move up, they're going to have to come, you know, with a pretty significant offer, and then they can go up and get their quarterback at three. But, you know, if, if that's the case, then I bet you Arizona does it. Josh, on the other side of the coin, barring a trade up from another team and the Cardinals obviously subsequently trading back, what's been at the top of their radar for this process of evaluating who they might take if they stay there uh, at three? Yeah, they, they have a couple of key positions. You know, if the right um, pass rusher is there, a guy, you know, uh, up front on defense, then they'll probably be um, an option. They need um, some young offensive line talent, someone they can build around in the future. Um, and that's a possibility. You know, even if, you know, uh, this is this is a huge stretch, but I really like the kid, the wide receiver from TCU. You know, who knows what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins in the long run, but they need a future number one. He could be a good option. I don't know if he'll go as high as four. But, you know, there are options there for Arizona to build out positions of need, and that's kind of where I would go with my three. And even, you know what, let's let's, let's add on one more. They need a cornerback. If there's a really good cornerback that they believe in who could be kind of the foundational piece for the future, that could be an option of three as well. What would you say is ideal for the Cardinals if they're trading the number three pick? Would it be a deal with the Colts where you move down to four, you get the top, defensive choice that you have but you get less draft equity in return or would it be to move further down say a team like the Raiders you move down to seven you don't get the top defensive choice most likely but you get more draft equity what do you think is ideal for the cards I think more draft equity is kind of is probably the best move in my opinion because you have a new coach new GM you have more than half your roster as, as free agents. Like, you need to do a major rebuild here, right? Like, especially if they either trade DeAndre Hopkins or they release him as a post-June 1st designation and save about $19 million in cap space. Like, if that happens, the rebuild is fully on. If that doesn't happen, that is kind of on, but you still need you still need help. So if I'm the Cardinals, I would probably go, you know, for more draft equity this year and next year, maybe the year after. Just try to build this team – from the from through the draft because obviously we all know like you get those guys in their rookie deals they're a lot cheaper you can do more with them so I think that more the more picks the better for this team right now. Josh Weinfuss with us covers the Cardinals for ESPN.com. Josh, we, we talked a lot uh, in terms of covering the Colts of what this next quarterback is going to look like, assuming they end up drafting one, and the, the the strenuous process of if the quarterback is actually the right guy over a three to four to five year period. There's been all the talks the last two off seasons about the extension the Cardinals gave to Kyler Murray. They obviously placed the blame on Cliff Kingsbury. They obviously uh, cleared out the front office as well. Uh, where are expectations for Kyler Murray? I know he's going through rehab right now. But where are expectations for him within the Cardinals organization this season? Yeah, I mean, he'll come back at some point. We don't know when. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the whole year. Um, but, you know, the expectation is he comes back and he's back to that Pro Bowl type of level quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. There's no, un, you know, there's no denying that. They gave him a quarter of a billion dollar contract at, you know, the max value, 105 guaranteed, 160 for injury. Like, they invested a ton of money into this kid. So the expectation is he brings them back to the playoffs. He is a top-tier talent, maybe an MVP caliber, and eventually, you know, I think obviously the end goal is to win a Super Bowl. Will that happen? I don't know. But 
I think he's talented enough to take a team there. He just needs some more molding, right? He needs molding, you know, uh, football-wise, probably emotionally, um, you know, maturity, like all that stuff needs to be molded into an elite quarterback level. And I think that they could get there, right? I think he's he's that type of player. There's so much said about him by outsiders who probably have never talked to him in his life about how he's, you know, he's going to be a bust. He's not this. He's not that. Like, he needs to grow up a little bit. There's no doubting it, right? Like, I see, I've watched the kid every day of the season for the last four years, but he's an immense talent. And if you can harness all of that together, and you can, you have probably one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. Will he get there? I don't know. Could he? Yes. Um, but I think what's interesting about quarterbacks these days is, and, you know, he experiences, like, Teams want to win now. Teams aren't patient anymore. Like, the Cardinals started him from day one. I'm sure the Colts are probably going to start their guy from day one. But the other thing I've noticed, and we saw this in Arizona with Josh Rosen a few years ago, is that teams are also very quick to move on from guys. I think that is a trend that needs to change. I think that teams need to be patient. Guys, I mean, you guys saw with Peyton Manning when he was a rookie. He threw, what, however many interceptions with a rookie record? Turned out pretty good, right? Like, if that was now, he'd be on the market or he'd be benched or he'd be cut by year two in the middle of the right? It'd be unbelievable if that happened right now. Teams just need to be patient, and I, I, don't, see, I don't think you see enough of that anymore. He's Josh Weinfuss, covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com, joining us here on The Fan. Can you just let us know where the story stands right now? The allegations from Cardinals exec Terry McDonough about uh, ownership and circumventing and GM suspension. What's going on here, Josh? Yeah, it's, this, is, this is not going to go away anytime soon. It's going to be very complex for a while. Um, you know, everyone saw the story. Um, and then the the rebuttal from the Cardinals and, and, and their their response. Um, it's um, how do I describe it? It's 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 ugly. I think both sides um, levied some serious allegations. Whether Terry McDonough's cheating or the Cardinals saying that Terry McDonough was dealing with some domestic violence um, allegations, I think that is some serious stuff. I think there's some probably low blows on, from both sides. Um, but this is something that we're going to hear about for a long time. It's not going to be able to be swept under the rug. I'm sure that there, you know, there's going to be some legal ramifications. There's definitely going to be some league-wide ramifications, um, personnel ramifications. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to get a lot uglier before it gets, gets prettier. Josh, when you look at the prospects available, obviously the Cardinals are not in the market for a quarterback. But when you look at that uh, – never-ending conversation about Levis or Richardson, assuming those are quarterbacks three and four off the board. Do you have a lean or a preference one or the other of which one you think pans out better in a market like Indianapolis or in Las Vegas if the Raiders trip or trade up? So I'll be 100% honest with you guys. I spent exactly zero minutes studying. <laughs> I haven't needed to, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they yep. have, you know, this is, this is like the first year in, since I've been covering the team where the quarterback hasn't, I guess, not first year since they drafted Kyler. Yep. But, you know, quarterback hasn't been a draft topic here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think both guys are good. Uh, but if I had to pick one right now with the little information that I have, I really like Richardson. I think he's the type of quarterback that, that can lead a team. I don't know a ton about what it, Will Levis. Like, I mean, I, I went to Indiana, so I didn't really watch Kentucky because that's a school yep. down south we don't really pay attention to. Yep. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about them, but I would say, you know, I think both guys are probably good. Um, and I think both guys are probably good for each market, right? And they're not huge markets. They're guys that can come in, probably you know, get better with the refs. And this goes back to what I said earlier. If teams are patient, 
guys will develop, right? You, and you got to give them the, the right coaching, not force a ton onto them. Let them come on at their pace. Maybe change your scheme a little bit to what they can do instead of fitting them into what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, you go from there. I think that, you know, the, the Colts got a really good offensive-minded head coach. The Raiders have an offensive-minded coach. Is he really good? I don't know. We've seen kind of how he's done with quarterbacks in the past. Um, so, I don't know. I think, I think either one would be probably fine. Josh, I think you just summed up the draft is depending on which market you're in, what team you root for, what position you need. You have been watching that with an eagle eye. But if you don't need a particular position, it's like, I don't know. I saw him in passing here and there. I don't really know. Right. That's how it goes. 100 percent. Like, I'm not going to waste my time, like, reviewing these quarterbacks and talking about them with people because the I'm, the odds of me writing about one next season is zero, right? Like, I'm not going to be – they're not going to draft a quarterback at three. They're not going to draft a, a quarterback if they trade down. So, why waste my time? Why waste other people's time? Like, you – you know, especially when, when life is so busy, you invest your time into things that you need to invest it in, and it's not a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I hear you. Well, hey, Josh, good stuff today, man. Hope to catch up with you uh, down the road, but uh, good stuff, man. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. There he is. Josh Weinfuss covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com.